Hello, and welcome to episode 14 of Take These Songs, a podcast about people and the music that they are committed to. This is your host, Matt Alano Martin. Thank you so much for joining the podcast today. Uh, we've got a hot one. We've got a good one. We're batting 100, baby. 14 out of 14, all great. My guest today is my work husband, Jared Thompson, uh, the owner of The Comedy Attic, the co-founder of the Limestone Comedy Festival, and a huge, huge music fan. He was also in some bands when he was a younger man, and before he got into the whole comedy thing, he promoted shows. He was a booker of DIY punk rock underground shows for a long time. So music is in his blood and a perfect fit for the podcast. First of all, hello, welcome back, all the longtime listeners. I appreciate you. You're a small but dedicated group. I see the numbers, I see the analytics, and I appreciate you. Thank you so much for coming back for another episode. And also, welcome first-time listeners. Thank you for checking out the podcast. I appreciate you being here. Uh, if you are new and you want to know how this works, basically, I invite a friend, a guest, who I know is a big music fan, onto the podcast to bring four songs. Songs that fall underneath the categories of something old, something new, something borrowed, and something blue. Something old can be any song that is at least 25 years old or older. Something new is any song that was released within the last year. Something borrowed is a cover. And then something blue is any song they have a strong emotional connection to or a song that they feel fits into that category. Doesn't necessarily need to be a sad song. It oftentimes is, but it's really any any song that they have a strong uh, connection to in the feels if we were still using that slang, which we probably are not. If I'm using it in my age, that slang is dead. But I'm going to wring some juice out of it, at least for this episode. The feels, everybody. That's what the something blue category is. Before I get into the episode, though, real quickly, I just want to let you know, I do have some shows coming up. Uh, if you are brand new to the podcast, I am a stand-up comedian. That is my day job. That is uh, how I know Jared. Uh, and I have some shows coming up that I would love to see you at. If you are living in or near any of these places, come on out. Hear me tell some jokes. We can talk about music after the show. That would be great. Uh, June 29th, I'll be at Third Base Bar in Council Bluffs, Iowa. June 30th, I'll be at Tiny House Bar in Omaha, Nebraska. July 1st, I'll be at Bossa's Comedy Club in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. July 2nd, I'll be at Broken Magic Comedy Hour at the Backline in Omaha, Nebraska. And then July 3rd, I'll be at Zoo Bar in Lincoln, Nebraska. The following weekend, I'm back in the Midwest. And July 8th and July 9th, I'll be at Wiley's Comedy Joint in Dayton, Ohio. And then the end of this month, I have a Southern run going down to Alabama, Tennessee, Georgia, uh, all kinds of good places. You can check out all the information about all my upcoming shows at my website, which is madalanomartincomedy.com. Every one of those words has a hyphen in between it. So it is M-A-T-A-L-A-N-O-Martin-Comedy.com. I'm assuming you know how to spell Martin and comedy. You could also just Google me. Google's pretty good. It'll get you there if you want. <laughs> I really need to change my web address. It is unnecessarily complicated. I also have a brand new comedy album that just came out last week, Midnight Nachos. I just want to take a moment to thank everyone who listens to the podcast that pre-ordered a copy and then also ordered on release day. Thank you so much. It made me feel really good. I felt special to see those numbers coming in. Uh, it's still available. You didn't miss the window if you didn't order it yet. You can still get it on uh, Amazon Music and also iTunes and Apple Music. And it's also on Bandcamp. If you are a big music fan and that's what brought you to this podcast, you are probably familiar with the Bandcamp platform one of my favorites i've all my bands have put stuff out on Bandcamp, and i'm now happy to say that my comedy album is up there too so it's available in all those spots check it out uh and get a copy if you would like that that would be very cool 
One, one other quick favor I do want to ask everybody before we get started, if you don't mind, if you could just take a second to rate and review this episode of the podcast or just the podcast in general, that would be great. Uh, ratings, reviews, all that stuff really helps push the algorithm so that the podcast is recommended to more people. Uh, that helps us grow the podcast, make it more sustainable. Very cool. And of course, you can always just tell a friend. If you know a hardcore music fan, uh, you can always just tell them, hey, check this thing out. I think it's pretty cool. Uh, hopefully, that is your, uh, your synopsis. <laughs> at the end of this episode if you are brand new you will find it to be pretty cool fingers crossed okay enough with all that business stuff and my comedy stuff let's talk very quickly about jared thompson the guest today on the podcast uh, as i said jared is my work husband <laughs> we co-founded the limestone comedy festival together he is the co-owner of the comedy attic uh and then before he got into the comedy world though he was a big time music guy he's still a huge music fan but he used to play in a band when he was a younger man which he'll talk about uh in his sections on the podcast but then also he was a promoter of underground and diy punk rock shows for many years so he really comes from the music world and he's still a diehard fan he has one of the largest vinyl collections of anyone that i know he really is a big music fan and i'm really excited to have him here on the podcast so without further ado Let's jump into it. Let's find out Jared's picks for something old and something new. So the first song that I'm going to talk about is actually um, something that is somewhat new to me. And I thought it was important to include... Um, you know, one of the things that I've always valued as a music fan is just constantly learning and trying to find new things, either new artists in some cases. And of course, that I don't do that nearly as much as I used to or new to me songs or artists. And this isn't one of those either, actually. But uh as is true of my selection in the blue category at the end, I came across this song while I was making my best of lists for um, specific years for, for the Comedy Attic. And I'll, I'll sort of explain why I was doing that later um, during uh, the song for Blue. But... Um, Diana Ross's Remember Me is my choice for something old. You know, it was um, released in 1970. Um, it, it, came out on an album um, called Surrender, which was, I think it was like her second or maybe third solo album. And of course, in that era, she worked a lot um, with Ashford and Simpson, which, I mean, they were, they worked with a lot of people. And um, I don't know personally if they were like, you know, they only worked for Motown or what, but I know that they did a lot of work in that time frame, and they worked... Um, with her on her first album too
so sort of keeping with the theme of making a playlist for the comedy attic uh one thing that anyone that goes to the club knows is that a lot of times i'll play a playlist just by a specific artist so like you'll just hear you know an hour of led zeppelin before the show or um and i've done that with you know probably 30 or 40 different artists um and in trying not to make it always be white rock and roll men, uh, I sort of, you know, over time kind of branched out and, um, with Diana Ross, obviously she's got songs with the Supremes as well as, you know, solo songs and very much admittedly, my knowledge base of her is very limited, uh, and, or was, and I guess what I mean by that is, is that like certainly more so than like the average person I'm aware of her and know about her, but like as someone with as much sort of, you know, history of listening to music, I should have known a lot more about her than I did. And I think some of it just comes from, you know, we know the hits and we know they're good. And it's like it, you know, I, I very much think that most of the time the charts or sort of the, you know, we, we got it right mostly. And so when you hear songs by artists on the radio or just what are already famous, most of the time and not always, those are their best songs. And um, so when I went to make the playlist, this is, you know, years ago, um, I had to dig a little bit deeper for for her than I did for a lot of, you know, a lot of artists. I already know what I want to be on there, right? So I'm I'm digging and I'm looking through, you know, where songs charted and, you know, just tracks from each album. And I come across this album and I see that this track, um, Remember Me, uh, it, you know, it was a fairly high, I think it was top 10, I think it, but it wasn't a huge hit. I think it was number 10 on, on um, like the R&B charts. And if I remember, it charted on several different charts, but it's, and it's not something that people know her for. But this got me, I mean, when I say that after hearing this song and playing it in the shower, in my car, um, you know, this sent me down a rabbit hole and there's so much music that Diana Ross made that I had just maybe never heard or just didn't really think about and didn't value. And so... I wanted to put this song on here because I think there's probably a lot of people out there like me that don't know this song as well as they should. Um, and it's just, it's exactly what I like in music. And you'll hear me say that on a few of the other songs where it just has a, it's fun. It's not too long. It has a great hook and chorus and it just it's just structured exactly the way that I want a song to be structured. And um, 
it's filled with a lot of like, you know, you can tell that, you know, even though she didn't write the song, I think that she really um, relates to it. it. It's it's like, you know, she's been, you know, shunned or or uh, spurned by a guy and you can, it just feels very raw to me in her. And um, let me just say real quick before I end this that like this was really hard to choose because there's a lot of artists. I'm surprised that I chose a known artist because one of the things I wanted to do in the old uh, in the uh, something old song was maybe find an artist that a lot of people don't know. So I felt like I kind of uh, met it halfway by having it a song by an artist that a lot of people don't know. But I really wanted to to do Bob Carpenter, who is just, if you have time, um, he basically made one album called Silent Passage. And I walked into Landlocked Music one time and they just had it on. There was like a, you know, they Stony Plains record, I think, records, I think, um, did a reissue of it. And I walked in and they were playing it and... um, it's just a great album and that was my first thought was that I was going to pick something from that so for something new I um you know, I'm 44. Um, I'm white. I'm straight. So, you know, I like a lot of, you know, guitar-based music. Uh, That's, you know, I listen to a lot of jazz, but most of it is, you know, basically five artists from the 50s, 60s. Um, So in a lot of ways, like a lot of people, you know, my music taste is kind of stuck where it is. And so that means that my favorite bands are in their forties and they have been making music for a while and, you know, give or take, you know, here and there, a new band or a new artist, you know, my favorite bands, you know, are the war on drugs and spoon and, uh, you know, those are my, probably my two favorite bands and I like the strokes a lot and they've, all three of those bands have been sort of on again, off again. And, um, none of them really, you know, and I like the national, I guess that's, that's obvious probably based on the rest of the stuff that I listed, but all of them sort of take time. Like one of the things I really like about the bands that I love is that they're not rushing into things and they can take, they take their time to make new albums. And I do think that in the case of my choice for something new, I think that spoon really, um, did themselves a favor by not releasing albums every year or trying to overdo it. Um, so, their brand new album is called Lucifer on the Sofa and it came out actually at the time of this recording. It's only been out for four days, but in that four days I've listened to this album pretty much nonstop in my car, in the shower. And 
it's, I love it. I love how they uh, like. I'm a I'm a big fan of track listings and just sort of having them be correct. And there's some that are really bad, like um, in excess uh, was. I mean, maybe the best song of the '80s is the last song on one of their albums, which. I actually love the idea of a like sort of an ending point of an album, but I don't believe that that's what they were doing uh, with with "Don't Change." I, I feel like that 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 would have been a better second track. So one of the things I really love about this new Spoon album is that I feel like that the that just sort of the order in which the songs are is perfect. And um, both The War on Drugs um, and another uh, band that I really like, um, Lord Huron, uh, both of them made albums in 2021 that I love. And they're both sequenced fine. I'd say the Lord Huron record is probably a little bit more flowing the way that I would like it to. But neither one of them sort of capture the way that Spoon did this. And it's it's 10 songs. It's 39 minutes. It's exactly what an album should be in number of tracks, length. And sort of wedged in almost the middle of the album is my favorite song on the album. It's called Wild. Trippers and laskers, they surrounded me. All I'm describing how they like me. It actually probably could have been the first song on the album. And I think that my guess is is that they knew uh, that they didn't want the first two songs to be the first two singles or to be the singles. I mean, they're not a band that really has like eight singles from an album. And when I say singles, I mean, they're not on the radio, really. I mean, they're going to be on college radio, but, um, you know, they're not – it's not exactly, you know – a band that's going to be like this record's not going to sell that well. But so what I love about this song is it, it just, it's exact. It, it reminds me of, even though the war on drugs certainly are more of a band that sounds like they're from the eighties. And, and that's sort of just the way that their music sounds. Spoon is not really, they don't really have a sound that you're like, oh, that sounds just like this or sounds just like this. I mean, they're pretty much, you know, they sound how they sound. And and you can't really put your finger on, you know, exactly where they came from or why. And a lot of that is because they've changed, you know, their first few albums are, are just not very good, to be honest with you. And so they they just got better as time grew, you know, that, that you know, very similar uh, to to the national and the war on drugs, they I don't think that their first few albums are nearly as good as how they you know sort of when they when they sort of hit their stride. 
So this track comes in, it's like four or five on the album, I can't remember, and it's it's just exactly what I'm looking for in a song. It's it's a um it it just it's very big, like it ha it just it's it plays like a much bigger deal than it is. And that sort of encapsulates my life in music that like I I really love bands and artists that you know, have a chorus, have a hook, but it also like you're getting your money's worth because it's from a band that's not like a massively famous band. And to me, I would put this single up against just about anything that's been released, you know, in a long time as just sort of, it's, it's like an anthem. You know, I think there's an advantage to a band. I mean, this is obviously that has, you know, that knows each other well and has money. I mean, I know that that matters that you have, you know, it's not even just you have money to hire someone to, you know, to make your album or hire, you know, studio time or whatever. It's like you also, you know, having money or and being able to sort of have time to let things be correct i mean this is obviously a stupid you know this has got this doesn't have anything to do with it but like i just remember when my when my band the witchcraft season i was in a band in uh you know the mid 90s i guess we were like an emo quote-unquote band like before that was a term that people use like we didn't know what that was yet but um you know we just had to be out of there in like an hour you know so we just we had to rush through everything we had to make sure that we got everything right and we had to you know so obviously it's an advantage to not have to do all those things and and that is something that really hits me when i'm listening to this new spoon album is that they really did this on their own terms and i think they made i think they made the record in austin which is where they live and and they hadn't been doing that so um, there's a lot of great new music out there. I, I wanted to find a non-straight white band or artist, but I just know that this is very, you know, representative of what I'm listening to right now. Hey everybody, Matt here at the Halfway Point, just jumping in very quickly to let you know that this episode of the podcast is brought to you by Postcard Elba. Postcard Elba, an eclectic music blog for people who enjoy that sort of thing. Posting five days a week, Monday through Friday, bringing you the best in undiscovered, underground, and underappreciated music. Everything from hip-hop to punk rock to instrumental to jazz to noise to pop if it's cool and flying under the radar, they are talking about it. Postcardelba.com. That is P-O-S-T-C-A-R-D-E-L-B-A.com. Check it out today.
The sponsor read is very brief today, and so we can very quickly jump back into the podcast and find out what Jared's picks are for Something Borrowed and Something Blue. So for Something Borrowed, I I probably spent the most time thinking about this of any of the tracks because my initial thought was, and this is just, I suppose, probably irritating to Matt, I bet, but I wanted to do the opposite and take a track. A great example is Blinded by the Light, which, and I mean the old, not not the weekend, but the you know the bruce springsteen written song um you know bruce wrote the song but obviously his version is not the more famous version and you know the uh um the manfred mann band um that's the version that you hear but i love the springsteen version and you know there's plenty of other examples probably the most famous one is that um uh, um you know, Dolly Parton wrote, I will always love you. And that song, I mean, people know it. So that would have been tough to pull off because even though I think the Whitney Houston version is obviously more famous now, I think that it, in the, at the time and even now, I mean, like people know the Dolly Parton version and it's great. So, you know, and then of course I'm thinking, oh, I don't want to make a list without the Beatles involved in some way. So like, obviously there's a lot of covers of Beatles tracks and, you know, I'm not a huge fan of Fiona Apple, but, um, you know, she does a, just a, you know, wonderful version of her, her and Rufus Wainwright both, um, do great versions of, of across the universe. But I also was sort of trying to think of something that the average person maybe don't, doesn't know. And I, and I felt sort of an obligation to have it be something that if there's someone listening that maybe they they didn't know about this. And, um, so I chose, um, uh, a cover of the Rolling Stones wild horses by, um, by the Sundays. And the Sundays were a very, um, they were a college rock band. And I think that it's, they're an interesting case study because they had, you know, I'd say that Summertime is their biggest hit. and, And that was, I think that record was released in like the, like maybe 96 or 97, Blind, the album uh, that Wild Horses is on, is from the early 90s. It's like 92. So I needed sort of – I don't think I really understood or knew the order in which these came because I would have have guessed that Summertime would have been on an earlier album because I felt like that they were a known band and that was their biggest hit. But I don't really know that the Sundays really ever were a huge – band except for in you know like the college radio market like 
Um, but the singer, um, her, I mean, she has one of the best voices of, I, I just, I can't tell you how much I love her voice. And, you know, M- Mazzy Starr and the Cocteau Twins are sort of, they were like more sort of known bands and I I love their all three of the voices of each of each group or artist but I feel like that the Sundays were a slightly sort of you know I don't want to say you know totally um overlooked but they never had you know the success I don't think and um if I'm not mistaken, I remember there being some controversy about this. Like, obviously, you can't make a cover of Wild Horses without the Rolling Stones knowing about it. But I, if I, I could swear that this only appeared on the album in the United States. And I remember there being, like, uh, I remember, like, watching 120 Minutes and Matt Pinfield talking about this, where it was like, you, you had to get a special sort of single or something to get this track um, in the UK. And of course the Sundays were, fr- were from there. Um, so, you know, I'll admit that like covers are not always my favorite thing. Like, you know, to me, like, you know, a cover band that's like, we're just going to play songs from the eighties or whatever is just kind of a, you know, roll your eyes type of a thing. Obviously in certain cases, like bands that can no longer play live, like, you know, like there's a bunch of Zeppelin tribute bands and I'll admit, I'd probably go see one. I think I did see one. But, you know, just like, hey, we're going to play Dave Matthews band songs or whatever. It's like they're still a band. So it's just weird to me. So I I don't value covers very highly. But obviously when someone reimagines a song and it hits you in a certain way and certainly the Fiona Apple cover um, of Across the Universe is, 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 you know, is a great example too. It's just something that I really – value is sort of reworking it and like it's not like the sunday song is like a faster version but i guess just the like having it be you know like female vocals instead and it's just very haunting sounding and even though i'm sure people would consider the rolling stones version to be haunting that's not the way i hear it and i find that to be much more this version to be much more haunting like I could imagine it being in like in like a dark scene in a movie. listeners of this podcast um are probably you know friends of matt's first and foremost but also you know some people may stumble on this because of the format um or you know just being a music fan but i would venture guess that a lot 
you know, a lot of uh, folks that are listening probably grew up in a similar time frame as I did. And um, so, you know, we all lived through, uh, you know, like the hair metal era and then, of course, ballads, which was kind of the way that bands that, you know, like Motley Crue is a great example or Def Leppard where to sort of keep up with the times went from being like a, you know, hard rock or even and sometimes, you know, metal band to being a, a much softer, you know, sounding thing. And in a lot of cases it was uh, not, it was just one song. Like it was, you know... I don't know that there's a Motley Crue or Whitesnake album that's like all ballads, right? But it was obviously, you know, pre-Green Day. <laughs> um, it was a kind of a way to sell out, I guess. And, you know, a lot of us didn't really know what that meant until bands like Green Day where it was more of an obvious thing where you change labels and you, you know, you become a bigger band by just, you know, signing to a major label. But I would also say that 10 year old me, when the self-titled white snake album was released, um, I kind of already knew in some ways what I liked, you know, this is not to say that I didn't make mistakes. Um, I mean, I remember, I mean, I bought a red hot chili peppers, uh, you know, the, that was the first uh, CD that I ever bought. And that was much later than 1987. So um, I wouldn't say that I had a, you know, a perfect music palette, but I think we all kind of knew that Whitesnake was shitty, I guess. So for Is This Love to be on a list of four songs when music has been such a huge part of my life, it's really sort of astonishing to me that it would be on here. Not to mention that a lot of people, if you're listening and you know me, know that whether it's music or movies or just, you know, in general, just living, I have a lot of, you know, I'm a very emotional person and I, and, uh, I have a lot of sentimental attachments to things. And so there's hundreds of songs that, you know, sort of bring out a certain, you know, level of emotion in me. So for for White Snakes is this love to be my choice for blue? Uh, it's pretty surprising to me um, that that's what I chose. Let me just first explain that, like, during the lockdown, uh, so I guess, you know, we're talking March, April of 2020, 
I decided that I just wanted to have something to look forward to um, at the Comedy Attic. Uh, and, uh, and again, people who know me know that the playlists that we play, you know, pre-show and post-show are, are really important to me. And, and obviously some of that has died down. It's hard to curate a specific, you know, set of music for each show, but I do make an effort to try to make it b- make sense. Right. So during the lockdown, I decided to tackle basically a playlist, which amounts to, you know, 75 or 80 minutes from every year uh, of the eighties. And I ended up making a 1979 and I wanted to make the nineties. And that's a whole other story for a different day. But when I got to 1987, I, I still, I mean, obviously everyone knows it, you know, several white snake songs, um, is this love obviously being one of their biggest hits. I was surprised to see that it didn't go to number one, uh, when I was doing my research about this song, but it was obviously massive. And, um, I would have never thought that there'd be a white snake song on any playlist at the comedy album. started to make the years and and I tried to do them in order. So this was, you know, the seventh or eighth one that I did. And I sat down and I listened to this song for the millionth time. And I just, it's just something different hit me this time that really, it just kind of felt different than any other time that I've listened to it. And I think that part of the reason is is that as you get older, you really understand that <laughs> you have to make choices like that you didn't think you were going to make when you were younger. And music has always been very important to me. And so even if we're just talking about like musical choices, you know, I remember being in high school and just or even in college and just lying to myself that I didn't like certain bands or artists or that I did like certain bands or artists just to fit in. And, um, so, you know, thinking about the landscape of music in 1987, you know, or really probably 85, 86 when they started to make this album, just sort of thinking about that and what it means to have to change what you do in order to stay relevant. And to me, this song sort of represents so many different things that have happened in my life also that, you know, from the day that the Comedy Attic opened till now, you know, we've had to adapt so many different times and make changes and do things that maybe we wouldn't have ever thought we would or things that maybe we would not have liked to have to do. But from that, and this is certainly not indigenous to Whitesnake. I mean, like I said, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, there were uh, other bands that had to do this just to move the needle. You know, like this was sort of the beginning of the end for, you know, like hair metal. Um, It a lot of this was like 
some of the final nails in the coffin for that era when these bands started to make um, ballads, right? But this was just a beautiful song that I actually read, you know, just read that like um, he wrote for Tina Turner. And I don't know, I don't know enough about it to know if he chose uh, to keep it because he, he thought that it would sound better, you know, as a White Snake song, and by he I mean D- David C- Coverdale, the singer of White Snake, or if she didn't want to do it or or what. But there's there's something just very beautiful about this song that to me makes the other eras of Whitesnake. And I guess what I mean by that is, is that on this same album, on the self-titled album, um, you know, they had several other hits and like a lot of them are just kind of, you know, they're just boring, you know, metal, like, you know, hard rock or metal songs. He, um, here I go again. It's probably their biggest hit, I think. Now, something also very interesting about Whitesnake is that they actually, like, some of their early shit is really good. And and they, even by the time they were, like, a just a regular hair metal band, they had already switched the way that they were, that they sounded. Like, they were a much harder band in the early days and i have a couple of their early early records and they're just good like sort of you know early metal albums and um so yeah i mean i love this song and you know it does make me feel happy and sad at the same time which is just very weird but all right thank you We did it, everybody. Another episode in the books. And as I say, in your hearts, hopefully, probably, I think so. I think Jared wormed his way in there. I think that he's very relatable, that young man, that Jared Thompson and his music picks. He surprised himself on some of these picks, which is very uh, cool, I think. I think it's an interesting part of the process when you challenge somebody to pick four songs. And I hear this all the time from people who are potential guests who haven't sent in their audio files yet for an episode about how hard it is. So it's always interesting when a guest uh, takes themselves somewhere they didn't think they would go. I think that's very cool. Uh, Thank you, Jared, for doing the podcast. Thanks for uh, doing it amazing. And thanks for being my work husband. Uh, It's been a heck of a run the last couple of years, and hopefully uh, we will stay uh, committed to one another. (laughs) for many more. I'm really carrying the whole marriage theme that is the subtext of the premise of this podcast a little too far with Jared. I hope his wife Dana and my wife Denise uh, are comfortable with it. Um, I don't care if Jared's comfortable with it. I'm honestly making Jared uncomfortable is pretty fun. So, okay. Uh, thank you everybody for checking out this episode of the podcast. Again, if you don't mind, rate and review the podcast, tell a friend about it. All that stuff really helps. 
And if there's anything specific you want to tell us, email us. Shoot us an email at takethesongspod at gmail.com. That is takethesongspod at gmail.com. Would love to hear from you. Take These Songs was created and produced by Madelano Martin. Hello, that's me. Hi, me again. Hi. And our theme music is by Go to Space Die. Go to Space Die is the instrumental space rock project of Dagan Thorgerson. The new album, Red Air Don't Care, is available at bandcamp.com. Check it out. It's pretty amazing. I think you will love it. Obviously, I love it. I made one of the songs the theme music to this podcast. If that's not the highest form of praise, I don't know what is. But until next week, this is Madalana Martin, hoping that every single one of you finds some music to have and to hold. <laughs>